This is a unique episode of Today in Ohio. We're redoing a conversation that we originally published last week, but then had to remove because it was premised on an error. It is Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston. I'm off the rest of this week. I'll be doing the podcast, but I want to get to it quick so I can get to my time off. Why is Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost chasing people down for parking tickets they received 20 years ago? And Layla, how does the chasing them down violate the explicit policy that they set for doing so? So, so this kind of debt collection is a service the AG's office offers municipalities. The deal is that they collect on old debts and they take a 10% fee for their work. And a couple of years back, the Cleveland Municipal Court, Clerk of Court and the AG's office inked a deal to collect old unpaid parking tickets to boost the court's coffers. And the agreement was that they would seek to collect on tickets where the principal fine was more than $100. So the clerk's office sent the AG's office this database of 100,000 tickets from between the years 2000 and 2005. These were, according to a spokesman, tickets that were about to be too old to collect on. It should be noted that there is no actual statute of limitations on parking tickets, but the city had already written off tickets dating back before 2000. So this batch would likely be the next to be written off if they weren't collected. So that kind of suggests to people they shouldn't pay them. But <laughs> the, the total value of the tickets in that database was $3.6 million if they were collected. Now, the problem is more than 98% of the tickets in that database were for tickets below the $100 threshold that the agreement set. More than half of them were only $20 tickets when they were issued. Only three of them were for more than $100 when they were originally written. And it doesn't appear that the AG's office opened the file to verify what they had received. They just started pumping out collections notices. So we ended up hearing about this when we got a call from a Cleveland resident or an email from a Cleveland resident who had gotten a notice seeking to collect on a $25 parking fine plus late fees from 2003 and he didn't even remember this infraction. And there didn't seem to be any evidence beyond this letter from the AG's office and the you know database that was attached to, to that letter. So, yeah. It didn't even say where the ticket was. He had a call to right. find out. He had to get all those details uh, proactively on his own. Yeah. The, the problem with going back 20 years is people who are responsible and pay their parking tickets will say, there's no way I have an unpaid parking ticket from 20 years ago, but how do you prove it? The IRS only requires you to keep your tax and financial data for seven years. If you were to be audited, you're talking 20 years ago. How do you prove you paid something 20 years ago. It's it's ridiculous. It, and, and for a tiny amount of money, it's almost like Cleveland screwed up by not getting these things paid, by not chasing them down in real time and to cover for decades of, of laxity. They're putting the onus on people to come forward and deal with it. It just seems wrong to go back that far. You ought to have a statute of limitations of some right. sort. And it, there are methods to deal with it. If you don't pay your parking ticket, you can stop people from renewing their registrations. I mean, there are methods at hand to deal with it, but I just don't get the 20-year thing. And I'm shocked that Dave Yost would participate in such a thing. I think that if the 
if the, the, the retention requirement for people is that they don't need to hold on to financial records beyond seven years, that is where the policy should cut off. I think that if, if the city did not do its due diligence in trying to collect on those within a, that reasonable window of time, they should be, that should be their policy to, to just cut those loose. You know, and but as far as um, you know, the, the this violation of the agreement goes, the clerk's office says that an oversight during some leadership transition caused them to send the, this batch of tickets that really hadn't been combed through closely to ensure that it comported with their agreement. But they don't really have a plan for what to do now. I mean, moving forward, are they going to do better? Are they going to just send the ones that are over a hundred dollars? Should should pay? Should people pay the ones that they're receiving now? What? How are people? What a mess! <laughs> it's a mess, and it's onerous. It feels abusive. Look, if you got a parking ticket, you started at the plane dealer twenty years ago, and as an intern, as an intern, you probably got a parking ticket because interns do dumb things, right? <laughs> so you get one of these. How are you going to prove that you paid it? Do you right. have records in your household where you can go back? <laughs> of and it's course just, not. It's just, it's a, it's not fair. I mean, it's, it, it's basic unfairness that they're putting on people and they're pretty outraged by it. They're, they're writing in saying, come on, you're going after a 20 year old parking ticket that I don't believe I got. That's not right because I cannot prove I didn't get it. And you're going to trust the clerk of the courts that right. says you didn't pay it. I mean, look at look at how screwed up they are. Can you trust anything that they're saying at this right, point? Right, exactly. And you know yeah. these these collection notices do come with the you know the all the threats that they you know that they attach to those things of if you don't pay blah 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 and and uh, you know people are afraid of that kind of thing. They don't want this to be reported to credit bureaus or they don't want it to be you know to to stop them from registering for their car. Uh, you know, getting their car register registry re-upped. So. They don't, well, you know, they just want to be done. I'm sure that there is some contingent of people who are ready to pay this and be, on, be done with it. If you live in Cleveland, you know that the guy behind this, Earl Turner, the clerk of the courts, is elected. Something to keep in mind in future election seasons. You're listening to Today in Ohio. No one will ever know whether the death of Jalen Walker in a hailstorm of Akron police bullets was a case of suicide by cop. But the case got us to wondering about the scenario of suicide by cop. Reporter John Tucker wrote a terrific story about it after interviewing people who study it. Lisa, what did he find? He found a wide range of opinions, actually. He found some people who believed it was suicide by cop, others who didn't, and others who were on the fence. So suicide by cop is, is sometimes planned. One of the experts told John Tucker that uh, suicide co by cop can be planned. Somebody says, I'm going to go out and hail of bullets, so I'm going to provoke the police. And that's a hypothetical situation, though. You really don't know whether it was really planned. But the overwhelming majority of cases of suicide by cop are spontaneous. They decide, okay, you know, they've got me, you know, this is the way I can, you know, it's a notion that becomes an idea. So Assistant Attorney General Anthony Pearson says he's not going to speculate on Jalen Walker's cause of death. He says there's really no direct clear evidence that Walker chose suicide by cop in that shooting by uh, eight Akron police officers last summer. Um, Walker's cousin, Demetrius Travis Jr., says that's a load of horse 
hockey. He says, why would Jalen run if he wanted to die? He said, black folks who run are running to survive. Um, and then John talked to a forensic psychologist, Justin Ramsdell. He's also an expert witness in trials. He said that with Walker's personal struggles, it feels like a suicide by cop scenario. He said something was obviously on his mind. We know that, you know, his, his, his fiance had died in a car wreck a month before he was shot. He quit his job. He bought a gun. He, you know, he had the wedding ring in his car. So, you know, Ramsdale says that points to suicide by cop. But Case Western Reserve University law professor Michael Benza says suicide by cop can be a cop out that actually, you know, covers for poorly trained officers or an overreaction in a crisis situation. He says often suicide by cop is used as an after the fact justification for the shooting. Um, and there were others, Kenneth J. Weiss, who is a psychiatrist at the University of Pennsylvania. He's published two suicide by cop studies. He says he's on the fence. He says it's not the classic gun waving person threatening to kill everybody. He said Walker did leave his gun on the seat, which is a clear marker for somebody with a death wish if they have the gun in their hand. So Vivian Lord, who's with a the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. She's a psychologist and former police officer. She said, Walker leaving the gun behind in the car points to a spontaneous scenario. She says often, like I said earlier, this notion of suicide by cop becomes an idea and when the police finally show up. Yeah, it's a thoroughly reported story. It really gives you a lot to think about. Uh, people should check it out. It's on cleveland.com. You're listening to Today in Ohio. The Ohio doctor who testified in a legislative hearing about how the COVID vaccine turned people into magnets was universally derided and brought shame to the state. Seems like there might be consequences for giving lunatic-style testimony. What's the latest, Laura? Dr. Sherry Tenpenny could have her medical license suspended because her statements, well, actually not because her statements were so bizarre, actually because when the state launched an investigation into her, she never responded. So that's the official reason that this is going on. But she had testified back in June 2021. This is when vaccines were really ramping up. We'd all had our first, well, I think everybody on this podcast had had their first doses, but she testified at the behest of a state representative uh, Republican Jennifer Gross, and they were trying to weaken those vaccine laws that were requiring uh, people to to get vaccinated or to, you know, every all of the the things that that was debate was raging. So she baselessly linked vaccines to diseases like ALS and cancer, and said that she was sure people had seen pictures all over the internet of people who had the shots and now they're magnetized. They can put a key on their forehead and it <laughs> sticks. And an interface yet to be defined between the shots and 5G towers, which is like, where did you get this? It made Ohio an international laughing stock. But she's actually some kind of celebrity at the intersection of anti-vaccine movement and right-wing politics. So she's actually making a whole lot of money and a whole lot of business off of these crazy statements. Yeah, but she may not be a doctor. She could she could at least temporarily lose her license. I'm glad to hear that they're taking action because that was ridiculous and there should be consequences when you get up in front of a legislative hearing and say ridiculous things. And the thing was, she said it and it's so ridiculous on its face, right? It's like, how could anybody believe this? But people do. And and I think they use her as as 
totally made up science and point to her. So it's, it, it, it is dangerous. It's not just a crazy person shouting on a street corner. Hey, but people still believe the election was stolen, even though Fox News has admitted it lied repeatedly about that fact. They're still I watching. Like, I did like Ted's column about that yeah. this weekend. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Square one for the First Amendment and take that, Beachwood officials. How did it turn out for the city after it in- inexcusably used tax dollars to unmask people who anonymously criticized their thin-skinned police chief? <laughs> Layla. The judge ruled in favor of protecting the commenter's identity. So it was Cuyahoga County Common Pleas Court Judge Andrew Santoli. He ruled that the comments made in, in these two Facebook profiles and in messages from an encrypted email account are protected by the First Amendment. And the plaintiffs, the city and police chief, can't force the software companies to unmask the users of those accounts. The judge ruled that, in fact, doing that would have a chilling effect on critics in the future. That means that police chief Kate McLaughlin's defamation claim is is pretty much dead in the water. The messages that gave rise to this lawsuit include three undated Facebook posts from two separate accounts and two emails in the same thread from the same user. The Facebook comments included statements that officers would need mental health counseling, quote, considering the chief. And they also alluded to the chief's personal life and and it claimed that the chief's the chief retaliated against an officer who sought credit for writing a grant that got the department money and and other things like that. But the judge held that the statements did not contain factual allegations and were opinions that were critical of police officials. They were just the typical hyperbolic, critical, sometimes crass way of, you know, criticizing public officials. And it should be noted, as you said, the city spent 25 grand to hire Mink Law to unmask the culprit here. So what a waste. Well, and let's face it, this was a personal defamation case. If the police chief wanted to do it, police chief could have done it. It's ridiculous that they're squandering tax dollars in this. I don't know why the people of Beach would keep electing people who are not looking out for them. They kind of turn that whole government into an abusive state. But anonymous speech is protected by the First Amendment. To try and unmask them violates their First Amendment rights to anonymously criticize public officials. That's what the judge said. Anonymous speech is a First Amendment right. And Beachwood is trying to trample on the Constitution. You're listening to Today in Ohio. All right, this is our first official redo. We did this question last week, but I had to remove it because the governor's office got in touch and said the premise of the question is partly an error, which it was. So, Lisa, once again, why is Ohio Governor Mike DeWine trying to add secrecy to audits at the Ohio lottery at the very time a cloud hangs over the place because of the fishy, abrupt resignation of the lottery commission director? It appears to be uh, just a a way to, you know, make things consistent. So there's a proposed change to the budget that would keep the preliminary and final findings of the Lottery Commission confidential until a final report is submitted to the commission board. This was requested by the Lottery Commission on the recommendation of the Ohio Office of Budget and Management, which oversees all state internal audits. Um, OBM spokeswoman Danielle Fritzy-Babb says, currently lottery audits and related documents are public record. And that is unlike the Office of Budget and Management and other agencies. Now, uh, Governor Mike DeWine has hired the Cleveland law firm Zashin and Rich to investigate 
HR irregularities in the wake of the sudden resignation of lottery director Pat McDonald last week. But this HR investigation is different than the type of internal audit that audit that this legislation is targeting. Nevertheless, Ohio News Media Association uh, Director Monica Neport is concerned that they're creating a new category of documents called not public yet. She says there's no way to see what changed between the preliminary and final reports and why it changed. Yeah, this is this is a bad move. Moving toward secrecy is a, a step where the government kind of abuses the people it represents. These are our records. Those audits, the preliminary, the final, and everything in between, we own them. Th- those are paid for with our tax dollars. The government is supposed to serve us, and Governor Mike DeWine is trying to use his power to hide it from us, which really raises questions about why. What does he know that he's trying to keep us from finding out? It, it raises the possibility that once auditors do their work, elected officials can come in and, and whitewash it. Say, no, 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 we don't want you to say that. Take that out so that we don't get the ultimate truth of what happened. You need to see the work in progress. Show the work. I would agree with that. So we'll have to see. But we did want to state that this particular investigation, you know, over Pat McDonald is not affected by this legislation. But OBM Director Kim Mernix, in a statement, she said that maintaining the confidentiality of work papers during an ongoing audit uh, complies with professional auditing standards. Yeah, we've seen plenty of preliminary audits over the years. I'm not buying it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Laura, your flight home from a vacation a week ago was mysteriously canceled under the questionable excuse of volcanic dust from Russia, which was strange because it only seemed to affect one airline. You ended up renting a car and driving 19 miles, 19 hours overnight to get home. Does it look like a lot of people are soon to feel your kind of pain during travels this summer? Yeah, it's looking likely. It's going to be a painful trifecta of full planes, high fares, and canceled flights. That's because of this high demand, ongoing staffing issues, and the potential for problems both weather and technology related. I mean, just last week, Southwest had a whole pause on everything uh, briefly and canceled other flights, just told the FAA to, to ground them. So it's not Cleveland's not immune from this. They're forecasting as many as a million travelers in and out of Cleveland in July. That is a monthly total not seen since the summer of 2008. That was when Continental still existed and we had a hub. So they're talking about new flights that are starting next month from Aer Lingus. It's going to fly to Ireland, um, Alaska, and Frontier which is what I was flying, is now going to be flying directly to San Diego. So flights are likely to be extra full. They're looking at 90% of seats expected to be sold out this summer compared to 85% in 2019. And it has not been, I don't know that it's been pleasant traveling at all anytime in the last couple of years. But the problem is, you know, when you're on an airline, when you're on a plane or stuck in an airport, you have no agency. You are completely at the mercy of whatever that airline says. And when I was stuck in Denver, and we'd already been there for seven hours. They canceled our flight. They weren't offering any vouchers. And I was looking at a 15-hour flight plan through Las Vegas to get home. It just, it was like, okay, just give me in a car. I will drive through Nebraska. You can't trust the word they say either. No. So when they say, yeah, Russian volcanic dust, sure, or weather, they, yeah, they sure. They claimed the entire airport was on 
hold the entire Denver airport. And I, I admit there was like a cloud of something. There was, it was sunny and all of a sudden there was a cloud of something. And I don't think the volcanic ash was like a made up thing. I don't understand how it works, but there were flights that were landing and taking off in that period. And it was just frontier. They canceled all the frontier. They canceled all the frontier flights and then basically told everyone to go talk to two agents. So the entire Terminal A is lined up to talk to these two poor frontier agents trying to figure out everyone's flight wherever they're trying to go. I mean, I I feel bad for these employees. No one wants to deliver that news. I don't understand the decisions they're making. So many people have extended how far they're willing to drive now to avoid flying. It used to be three, four hours. I think it's gotten up to nine, 10 hours. There was a poll that came out that said Ohioans are willing to drive seven, right? Which will get you to a beach somewhere. But I mean, I would drive 12 hours easy at this point before I thought about getting back on a plane. Well, and if you're thinking about getting back on a plane, check out the photo that came out over the weekend of a flight taking off from Columbus with one of its engines on fire. Mm. Pretty terrifying. It had to land quickly. You're listening to Today in Ohio. All right, Leo, what do we know about the two finalists to replace <coughs> Cleveland school chief Eric Gordon? Is Go ahead. Today and tomorrow, members of the public are going to be able to tune into live feeds of these two finalists and, and who are being interviewed by a series of panels. And they include students and members of the community, as well as interviews with the school board and Mayor Justin Bibb. So the district received 132 applications for the school's top job, and, and they whittled the field down to two men, Warren Morgan and Ricardo Torres, who goes by Rocky Torres. Warren Morgan is a a Chicago native who is chief academic officer for Indianapolis Public Schools right now, and he spent much of his career in the Midwest, including two years spent in Cleveland. He worked as a network leader and academic superintendent for CMSD between 2014 and 2016. He was once a a celebrated science teacher before becoming an administrator. And throughout his career, he's kind of bounced around a lot. He's worked in St. Louis and Chicago, Washington, D.C. He started in Indianapolis in 2020. That district is is about 5,000 students smaller than Cleveland. There he oversees curriculum, instruction, extracurriculars, and post-secondary readiness, among other, other duties. Last month, he was named as one of three finalists for the top job at New Haven Public Schools in Connecticut, but that job ultimately went to a longtime New Englander. Rocky Torres is actually a Cleveland native who served as an assistant principal and and principal for CMSD from 2014 through 2019. Interestingly, though, earlier this year, he was selected as the new superintendent of the school district of Lancaster in Pennsylvania, but he withdrew his name as a candidate before the school board's vote due to unsuccessful contract negotiations, according to a statement from that board president. He holds a a bunch of impressive degrees, as does Warren Morgan. Both have doctorates. Taurus is also licensed as an intervention specialist, a principal and superintendent in Ohio. So very comparable candidates. Yeah, I love the fact that they're educators, right? Because that's one of the reasons Eric Gordon was so effective. He was a true educator that moved up the ranks. But somebody that that pays a lot of attention to Cleveland school issues noted that they don't appear 
to have experience in getting taxes passed, which Eric Gordon has said at times that that was about a third of his job. He had experience before he got the job and then successfully worked on a bunch of tax campaigns. You got to have the money to do the education that they try to do here. And because of the way the transformation plan is set up, they go back to the taxpayers, what, every four years. So I just wonder if you've never done that, how quickly can you get up to speed? Yeah, and I hope that that is a focal point of the questioning that they have to endure today. I mean, hopefully that will be a rigorous set of of, of sessions with members of the public and the school board and the mayor. I mean, I hope that they do drill into what their plan is for making sure, you know, ensuring that long-term success is and, and and the levy, you know, levy success in the future. You know, neither of these candidates are offering many details about their educational philosophies and what changes they would make in the district. They both have emphasized listening and learning from students in the community, but that's that feels like filler. <laughs> Yeah. Although at least they do have some local knowledge that's not like they're complete outsiders like the first couple of CEOs we had. It'll be interesting to see what they say. It'll be streamed. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Let's talk about some coronavirus news that's good news. First, what great benchmark did Ohio reach at the end of last week? And second, what's the word from university hospitals on the protocols it had been enforcing on patients, staff, and visitors? Lisa. Well, in the Centers for Disease Control's latest tracking map for COVID, all 88 counties in Ohio are green. And that means we have low COVID spread across the state. This is the first time since March 2022 when tracking began that we've been all green. Cuyahoga, Cuyahoga, Cuyahoga County's green status has been green for the fifth consecutive week. In the eight-county Northeast Ohio area, all counties have low transmission since April 13th. And UH Hospitals has joined its uh, colleagues at Summa Health and Cleveland Clinic. And starting today, masks will will be optional at UH facilities, except in patient rooms, patient-only waiting rooms, and during direct patient-provider interactions in patient care areas. There are also no more limits on the number of visitors to patients during the 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. visiting hours, but visitation may be restricted in certain areas when necessary, and then people can now work with staff if they want to have overnight visits with patients. So if you go to visit somebody in the hospital and you're in their room, you still have to put a mask on, it sounds like? Yes. In patient rooms, correct. Yeah. And that makes sense. But that means in areas like the cafeteria, the lobby, common areas, masks are not required. Okay. And they're following the footsteps of the clinic, which had removed its mask requirement. Be interesting to see how many of their staff continue to wear them. You are listening to Today in Ohio. All right, Laura, what's the new must-visit place in Greater Cleveland to take photographs to give you pride in your town? And have you already been there? No, I have not been there. This is a Hollywood-style sign at the Metro Park Zoo that greets visitors and passerby. So it's located in the Brookside Reservation where the zoo is. It's visible from I-71 and went up this week. Designed in-house, built in-house by the Cleveland Metro Park's marketing and site construction teams, this features the word the the logo of the zoo all in 
big white letters and silhouettes of a gorilla, giraffe, hawk, elephant, turtle, and big cat. The giraffe is nearly 25 feet tall, and the elephant is so big it had to be transported in two pieces and welded together on site. But it is very cool. And for Clevelanders who love their signs with all those Cleveland script signs, I have a feeling there'll be a lineup for this for when people go to the zoo. And what, what, what did the headline call it? Hollywood, the Hollywood sign, <laughs> playoff of Hollywood. Yeah, because that's, it's like just the white lettering, and it's like set up like that, where it's, you know you can't see behind it. Um, so yeah, they called it a Hollywood type sign, and yeah, stick the Z in there instead of the W. And where exactly is it? So it's in. It's just off of John Nagy Boulevard, which I would have never quiz me and I would have never known where that is, but it's in Brookside Reservation. So it's right by the zoo. You're not, it's not at the entrance. Like I think you're going to have to stop on the street uh, to, to take a picture. I think there's a, a sidewalk there. So hopefully uh, that doesn't cause a traffic problem in and out of the parking lot. Cause there's not nearby parking. You'd I don't have... see any nearby parking. Huh? Wow. That would be bad if it creates traffic problems for something that's supposed to be fun. Anyway, we had the picture. It's on cleveland.com, and I imagine a lot of people will start taking pictures that will compete with the Cleveland signs that people all rush to. You're listening to Today in Ohio. That does it for the Monday edition. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens. We'll be back tomorrow with some more news.